0: This is the Washington Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Cox. We are always honored to check in with our eighth CD Congresswoman, Dr. Kim Schreyer. And she has been very busy working on a slate of issues, among them a bill that she co-sponsored to overhaul federal firefighters' pay and benefits called TIMS Act. It was just signed by the president, so we now welcome her on to discuss it. Congresswoman Schreyer, hello, hello. How are you?
1: Hi, Stefan. It's so good to see you again.
0: It's always good to see you as well. And, you know, I think we let's just jump right into this because I know that we've gotten uh, word that there is, we're certainly in wildfire season right now, there's a fast-moving wildfire in Chelan that I got reports of this morning. So this is a very timely thing. Tell us a little bit about TIMS Act and what it does on behalf of federal firefighters.
1: Um, Well, first, thank you for asking. And second, it's kind of shocking that we made it to um, mid to late July without having... uh, a super serious fire season. But yes, it is in my district, is in and right now. You know, um, we just put a a ton of money into a bipartisan infrastructure bill that calls for a lot of uh, wildfire prevention uh, in order to avoid catastrophic wildfires. And what's become really obvious is that we don't have enough federal wildland firefighters. And part of the reason for that is that pay is so low. And I think that, you know, right at the beginning of uh, of this presidency, uh, the president said something about raising firefighter pay to $15 an hour. And all of us were aghast that people put their lives on the line and work in some of the most horrible conditions uh, and do this in an altruistic way and are only making that much money. And so we put together this bill. Um, to raise firefighter pay to $20 an hour and add on health benefits, retirement benefits, mental health care, the things that, you know, really they need to be fully supported in their jobs. Um, we're not done. We still need affordable housing for our wildland firefighters as well. Um, but this is a great start.
0: $15 an hour is a shockingly low number, considering that we're asking these, these folks to put their lives on the line. Um, this is crucial on so many levels, not least of which is making sure that we have what it takes to address this ever-growing problem of wildfires. And, you know, on that subject, I, I want to mention that in April, you were able to secure funding for what is called forest resiliency here in this state. I wonder if you could just tell us what forest resiliency is and what the funding is going toward
1: course. Um, so I've gone to that for this particular issue in in various places. One is in the big infrastructure bill, but another is with, a commu- with, with what we call community project funding. Uh, the city of Roslyn, most of you have probably been there, uh, sits in the woods. It is surrounded by forest. And if that forest catches fire, um, that city is in a lot of trouble. So they have been working on uh, trying to thin the underbrush out of the forest, we call it like uh, removing the underbrush, mastication means like breaking all of that down and then doing uh, prescribed burns, prescribed fire to burn out some of that underbrush so that if a fire does start, it does not become a catastrophic wildfire. And so um, one of these community projects was getting uh, uh, three quarters of a million dollars for the city of Roslyn to help uh, create resilient forest around Roslyn to protect the community. They're very excited about it.
0: Yeah, it's tremendous. And I actually wanna note that Washington State has a forest health tracker that people can check in with if you're interested. And I have a link for that in the show notes. You know, I know that you know that we're seeing a record number of uh, temperature, uh, you know, high temperatures across the country, also in Europe. uh, There are uh, thousands of deaths right now being uh, reported due to heat and wildfires. You and I have talked about uh, how big of a concern climate is for you. I wonder, just generally, how are you thinking about this threat going forward?
1: Oh, Stefan, this remains such a concerning issue. And, um, I think I share the frustration that you probably feel that it is so, so hard to get things done on the federal level, uh, that uh, the Supreme Court just, you know, cut the legs off the EPA in uh, you know, enforcing the Clean Power Plan. Uh, we have a climate policy in the, in the Senate being set uh, by Joe Manchin, who comes from an oil and gas state, and it has been really frustrating. Um, Here's what gives me hope. Um, First of all, we can grow our majority in the Senate and hold the House. We can make real progress on these issues. Second, I'm seeing local issues, states, cities, counties who are taking action. They're not waiting for the federal government. But third, I just want to say that whose president matters because every department is paddling in the same direction. And so you have, you know, the Department of Energy uh, putting resources toward clean hydrogen hubs around the country. Try eight of them, see what works best, and then double down. You've got the Department of Transportation working on mass transit and electric vehicle infrastructure. And so it doesn't all happen in the House of Representatives. It's happening in a lot of other places, and I will keep going to that. Uh, for clean energy here in the Congress.
0: Well, we, we sure appreciate all the work that you have done on that front. And, you know, I'll just point out uh, for people that this is an enormously difficult environment in which to pass any legislation at all. And you've been getting a lot done in spite of that. Why don't you just talk a little bit about, you know, some of the challenges that you've faced um, in successfully passing bipartisan or, or really even any legislation right now?
1: You know, Stefan, it's interesting. The big things are really hard to pass. But I've already had, just in these two terms in Congress, so three and a half years, 14 bills signed into law, eight of them were signed by President Trump, six of them by President Biden, and I find my partners in both parties to get things done. In fact, you know, most days here in D.C., we pass what are called suspension bills. They're just bills that everybody agrees on. Um, Bills supporting our military bills, you know, supporting our public lands and nobody hears about those. So there is bipartisan work that happens. It's just that on the the ones that get the headlines. um, I think people just dig in their heels.
0: Speaking of two pieces of legislation, uh, I do want to ask you about the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v Wade before I let you go. You voted for both the Women's Health Protection Act and also the Ensuring Access to Abortion Act. On the latter, I'm wondering if you could tell us what is being done specifically to ensure that women in other states have the right to travel for abortion services.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a real threat, right If you've got right right now as we speak, my friend Lizzie Fletcher from Texas tells me there are threatened lawsuits against people who help women get to other states for care, against the doctors who refer them to other states for abortion care. And so this is an it, this is not invented. This is a real threat that we need to address. I mean, this Dobbs decision, overturning fifty years of precedent, taking away a right that women have had uh, for now two generations, uh, has really created chaos, uh, pandemonium, and a lot of uncertainty out there. Um, and uh, and so passing both of these bills through the House, one, you know, ensuring a right to abortion, and two ensuring that people can travel out of state for abortion are, are unfortunately necessary.
0: Not to put too fine a point on it, but I would love for you to talk very briefly about why it is so important that we have somebody in your seat who supports reproductive rights.
1: Um, Well, first I'm the only pro-choice woman doctor in all of Congress. And so I've got to stay because I can speak authoritatively on this issue like nobody else. Um, You know, the the other is that I happen to be in one of the five seats that the Republicans are really seriously targeting to flip in these midterms. And the bottom line is that if I don't make it through this election, we lose our House majority and the Republicans will very likely pass a national abortion ban. So those are the stakes. It is partly about me and having the pro-choice woman doctor in the House. And it is partly about making sure we hold our House majority. And those are both incredibly important. I have just been driven to the steps of the Capitol because I got to go vote. So I'm going to have to cut this short, Stefan, and just say thank you to you and to everybody.
0: Absolutely. And we so appreciate your time, uh, Congresswoman Dr. Kim Schreier. Thank you so much, as always.
1: Thank you. Best wishes.
0: And I will also note before we go that we have an upcoming training with Planned Parenthood and Olympia Indivisible on how to have conversations about abortion and how to organize during the election to make sure that we elect pro-choice candidates at the state and federal level. This is going to be on Wednesday, July 27th at 7.30 p.m. And you can register at bit.ly slash pro choice organizing, capital P, capital C, capital O, those notes, as well as everything else we've talked about today will be in the show notes. That is it for this week. Thanks. The executive producer of the Washington Indivisible Podcast is Kat Pipkin. If you would like to see a video replay of this or any of our interviews, head to facebook.com slash Podcast. The email for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Lori Cowell, And as always, my thanks to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox, and we'll see you next time. Bye.